0: Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime.
1: What's up, SDS Nation? Welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, live from Tallahassee, which is why you see this hotel background behind me. We are here in person for the Charlie Adelson trial. It has been an unbelievable week. Of course, the trial started last week, and now... It looks like there's no one in sight for this week. Uh, The trial should conclude uh, by next week. At some point, we will get Tim Jansen's take on that. Uh, Patty Wilson's about to join us. Hello there, Patty. You hear me, Patty? Great. Um, If you can turn turn your camera the other way. Yeah, I've got you. And if you could just flip your camera on landscape mode, that'd be awesome. Uh, Just a quick... Quick lineup of best guests here. You guys know the man in the middle, Tim Jansen. He is, uh, I don't know how to describe Tim anymore, other than a savior. He's uh, come in and really helped STS throughout this entire week, despite five broken ribs. Uh, Next to Tim Jansen, we've got Louis Baptiste, who is an attorney, and he works, as you'll see behind him, with Stephen Webster, who was, Dan Markell's divorce attorney, he testified in this case, Stephen Webster did. And uh, Lewis is going to tell us he is connected to Dan Markell as well. And then we've got Monica Jordan. And last but not least, who is a private investigator, Patty Wilson, uh, who is a radio host here in Tallahassee. And we're going to get to everyone uh, momentarily. There was a comment up there about court today, and I just have to say, it was long. Today was the longest day by far. It was all direct from Daniel Rashbaum to the defendant, Charlie Adelson. And it was tedious and at times very convoluted and at times very difficult for me to follow. I thought I was the only one, but uh, taking the elevator with people a few times, they felt the same way as me. Now it is a difficult job. Uh, By the way, Daniel Rashbaum specifically came up to myself in Fancy Fiction. There was no need to do it. He thanked us for for what we do. Um, so that kind of tells you the kind of guy. He's a nice guy. He's got a difficult job and a difficult defendant, but he's doing uh, the work that he needs to do. Tim Jansen, one of the most important things that I missed. By the way, there were so many technical issues. I don't understand why Daniel Rashbound, with some of that defense money, wouldn't have brought a tech person with him, not to mention his graphics are horrendous i mean difficult to look at you think for a few hundred bucks a day you could have a tech person by your side and it was irking the judge judge Stephen ever quite a bit uh, there were a bunch of stoppages one for 30 minutes which is a long time uh basically in an eight-hour day but one thing that i so i couldn't hear a lot because it was going through the headsets and tim jansen i caught this out of the corner of my eye someone at some point mentioned a script and that's important what was that all about well judge the judge asked him how much longer he had to go and he goes i got a lot much
2: longer to go and then the judge goes well i see you've got your script there which we all believe is a script pre-rehearsed script and i thought that was the funniest thing even the judge knows he's just reading a script and the witness is regurgitating the pre-rehearsed questions
1: now, I've done enough of this and talked to you enough times, Tim Jansen. Is that in and of itself cause for some sort of appellate motions after this to say that the judge biased the jury by calling it a script?
2: I think the jury was out of the, um, the courtroom because he was he was trying to do a timing how much longer he needed. And I think gotcha. the jury was out.
1: OK, uh, but the judge, the judge would never say that in front of the jurors, right? Probably should not. That would be
2: inappropriate. And the defense lawyer did not object, make an objection in front of the jury. So he's probably waived it. But I think it was outside the presence of the jury.
1: Yeah. Um, Louis, thank you for joining us. If you could just take a moment, I understand that you have a direct connection to Dan Markell. What is it? When did you meet him? Had you meet him? And so, uh, Louis Baptiste, I'm actually, I'm blessed to
0: be here and outside of God. The reason I'm here practicing as a lawyer. with my law partner, Stephen G. Webster, is because of Dan Markell. Um, solely because of Dan Markell um, in my city in this seat today. Um, Dan Markell was my law professor. I was a part of the last class that he taught before his death. And so he taught me in the spring of 2014. And of course, we know that he was killed just, you know, in the beginning of the summer. Um, and so in my in his class, Dan Markell, First, every time I talk about him, I tell everybody that he loved his sons and that matters so much because he taught one L criminal law, which is a tough class. It's where it's where law students were introduced to legal principles, murder, uh, first degree murder, second degree murder. The exact issues that we're dealing with today on the show is what Dan Markell taught us as students. Um, And yet and still, even though it was a class about murder and violence, he still talked about his sons. I I I know their names. And I know what their nicknames for him because he used them in class all the time. And and at the law school, he had his all the law professors had their accolades on their doors, their degrees, um, their law review published articles, but not not Professor Markel's door. His door was full of of his kids drawings and uh, what some stranger might think is scribble scrabble. But to him, you know, it was better than Picasso. And so. That's the kind of father he was, and his kids were a priority. But essentially, what um, Webster starts representing Dan, and he asks him, he says, look, Webster tells him, I'm looking for a law student, just started my firm, I need to go get her. Um, and he recommended me. And it's funny enough, because I didn't even think we liked each other. We disagree about theories of punishment a lot. I believe in utilitarianism, which argues that you should only be punished to the extent you can be corrected, and nothing more. And so... Obviously, you, you're, you, everyone knows that he was a retributivist justice scholar, articles published worldwide on that subject. And so we often in class went back and forth and I would raise my hand. and He would not call on me and I would keep it up like, no, you're going to follow me. And So in um, two weeks later, in the middle of the summer, I get a call and I get hired. And now that was, you know, approaching 10 years ago. Next year, that'll be 10 years. Um, all, be, all because of Professor Markel. I, I remember the last time I saw him was probably the first week of the, the last week of June was probably when I saw him and he was walking around. He was walking around the law school. He had on strapped sandals and I, uh, I ran up to him and said, thank you. He's like, it's the least I could do. You know, and that's the last time I saw him was um, in the patio area of the law school saying that's the least I can do. And that I didn't know him many things that he only did what he did, whatever he could, what he would do for any other student.
1: And obviously what he did changed my life. Of all the people I've talked to you, uh, look at this, Brenda Lord's making me cry. It just gave me the chills. Um, My lighting is too poor, but of all the people I've talked to, I think this is probably the most amazing tribute to Dan Markell that we've heard. Is he, uh, was he as smart as uh, they all say he was? Did he stand out above, did he tower above the other law professors? Smarter,
0: You know what I mean? Literally his, his intelligence as Often as it's stated, it's still understated. I mean, you have to consider. So one, he leaves law school and he goes and gets a federal clerkship and not just any federal clerkship. He clerks for the Court of Appeals. Everyone knows that if you want to become a Supreme Court clerk, all the Supreme Court clerks first clerk at the Court of Appeals. They're the most sought after clerkships. And so that's where he starts with a federal clerkship at an appellate court. Almost impossible to get. Um, He leaves there, goes and works for a top law firm practicing um, white collar crime, criminal defense. He stops doing that, becomes a law professor, but at the same time, he's a law professor. He's being cited by uh, law review articles and by and hired by law firms to consult on white collar cases across the country. At the same time, he, I'm, I'm sure we're all familiar with his theory, which is that he published articles about how fans could essentially get ownership interest in sports team by using their money collectively to pull their purchase power so that fans could have a say-so in whether or not teams signed signed players or got rid of players based on using collective purchase power. And so we just talked about three different fields of law entirely. And Dan Markell was able to be at the top um, as a professor at FSU. He was you know, the Sandy Dallenberg professor, which is a top professorship at FSU College of Law. I don't know of one better than that. And that's what that's the tenure. That's the tenure track he was on that he had. He was writing articles for the New York Giants and talking about how the New York Giants and how. um, And how the um, Brooklyn Nets and how those different teams could use fan money to collectively hire and fire players and general managers. And so in the New York Knicks, excuse me. And at the same time, he was here at the law school pushing me and my colleagues to be smarter, to be better, to think faster, to process quicker and to analyze legal issues. Never knowing that we would be I would be on a show nine years later, analyzing legal issues about his murder, unfortunately.
1: Uh, Jansen, you're out. If I ever get in legal trouble, I'm calling Lewis. Uh, (laughs) He just he just outbid you. But, uh, Lewis, I'm going to circle back to you and find out where you were and what went through your mind when you heard that he was murdered. But we'll, we'll circle back on that. Monica Jordan, for those who don't know, is uh, amazing an amazing human being and also a private investigator that works closely with Tallahassee's most famous defense attorney, Tim Jansen. And uh, she helped prep Luis Rivera, Of course, one of the uh, hitmen in this case helped prepare him for his testimony here. Monica Jordan, I got a tweet from a woman named Alexia. Very smart. She tweets at me often. And here's the tweet. Mr. Adelson, don't you think if the shooter needed money rather than driving to Tallahassee two times and killing a stranger and hoping he could extort you and hoping you would not call the cops, he would simply kill you and take your money? That's all, Your Honor. Uh, She's basically speaking for Georgia Kappelman. Is Georgia going to say something along those lines? You know, why in the hell would Sigfredo Garcia, who doesn't know Dan Markell from a hole in the wall, drive up, you know, scope out the Adelson home and then go back there, you know, in July to kill him and not even kill the wife, but kill this guy who's not related to the Adelsons in any way, shape or form other than through marriage?
3: I think, I think. first of all, I'd like to say, Lewis, that was phenomenal what you said about Professor Markell. So many of us have no idea who he is because all we know him as is a, is a victim. And so that was really, thank you. That was a really nice thing you said and helps educate the rest of us about who he was as a human being. Regarding Charlie Adelson's extortion defense, uh, this is... I'm not going to pontificate on what a jury's going to do because none of us know that, but I will say this. I think you get a little bit more leverage in an extortion situation when you say, you better give me this money or I'm going to kill your brother-in-law. Killing the brother-in-law and then asking for the money is like, listen, you know, if I really didn't ask you to kill my brother-in-law, I, I'm going to the cops. I mean, that's like the riskiest extortion plan ever, but when you Great point, because apple- you're
1: saying you, – you, I'm sorry, Monica, but just to clarify, yeah. so you're basically saying once you've killed him, you've lost your leverage because he that's might not, say, I don't care, I'm not paying right. you. But,
3: but, but when you conspire with hey. the Apple Dumpling Gang to commit this horrible crime, I mean, to think that Katie – and I've said this before on, on, on this program – to think that Katie and Sigfrido and Luis Rivera – where the masterminds of this horrible act is the most ridiculous thing ever. These people couldn't conspire to, to go to lunch. I mean, like, they're not Mensa candidates. This wasn't well done. Uh, it, it, it is so tragic that this even happened. But my frustration is in, in this defense, and and. This lawyer is is having to play the hand he's dealt. Like like was said the other night, I, I believe it was by Stephen Webster. In the defense world, we're brought the story the client brings us. We don't just sit around and go, "Huh, I wonder if this. I wonder if we can pull this off." So we have to kind of work within the with what with what we have and what the client's telling us. If this is what he's telling his lawyer, and that's where this is going. But I think the bigger anticipation of over whether Charlie was going to testify or not is more like we're all going, oh, my God, what is Georgia going to do with this? This is like one gold nugget after another. So I think that's what we're all uh, waiting on.
1: Tim, I want to circle back uh, to what Monica was just saying to you about Charlie going to Daniel Rashbaum with this theory. Uh, Michael Faraday defense avoided the details of the actual murder because it's a rabbit hole. He can't afford to jump down too many questions. He can't answer. Uh, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Patty, for those who have never met you and I just met you really in the last day or so, let me unmute you here. I've got you muted. Tell us the name of your show and uh, what you do here in Tallahassee.
4: It's called Patty's Playhouse and I'm a real estate agent and I work with our
1: company. It's called The Brokerage. The Brokerage. And, um, so you've got like kind of the pulse on Tallahassee. You've got this weekly show, and it's also a podcast. What's the reaction been from Tallahasseeans uh, to this case? You know, I, I think we were talking briefly in the hallway. The gallery until today wasn't really packed. And by the way, Daniel Rashbaum emptied it out about halfway through the day because of the direct he was giving, not his fault. And he poking fun at him. Uh, by the way, I saw him at lunch. Uh, he was just walking away and he told me, I said, enjoy lunch. He said, I don't eat during these cases. He goes, I can't eat. I just have water. So the guy's basically on a fast right now, but what is, what are, how, how are Tallahasseeans reacting to this right now? Cause, uh, the gallery would imply on the other days that there's not that much interest, but I hear that there is.
4: I have a Facebook group called Living Tallahassee. So it's like my own little focus group of 40,000, and they all believe he's guilty. I, I was getting messages all day. I had to turn my phone off because they, it's just ludicrous at this point. And I do, and we all understand he has a right to a defense, and mostly the hubris that that Charlie Adelson has sitting on that stand speaking in circles, making absolutely no sense, unchallenged, and drawing it out. I mean, Mm. oh my that's I mean they are bored. People are bored. They even on Twitter they were talking about turning it off and just checking in with you all, the podcasters. (laughs) I mean like we're just we're just muting it. We can't listen to it anymore. And I think and I could be the strategy is to draw it out through end of day tomorrow so that they don't have Kaplman's words as they go into the weekend.
1: So I think there's a strategy involved. I'm a layperson, but we'll see. And that's been been one theory, and I'd like to circle back to you, and I just made a note to get your uh, reaction to the jurors. You and I have been in the courtroom. There's one juror that's of concern. Uh, We'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, Von Decay here, friend of the show, a cup of coffee for Tim Jansen. Listen, I got to say this. I, I literally cannot thank Tim enough. Uh, the guy broke five ribs. He's just out of the kindness of his heart. That's the kind of guy he is. Von uh, Kay also, Attorney Louis Baptiste, thank you for honoring Professor Dan Markell. Thank you for the super stickers, Dr. Vonda Kay. Uh, but I got to say, Tim Jansen is, as my mom says, a gentleman and a scholar, broken ribs. He's been filling in for me. Hopefully he can do it one more day. Uh, Both Steve Cohen and I have... Uh, things we need to attend to. So we'll be here about half the day tomorrow. Then we have to drive back to Miami, but we'll have the stream for you going all day long uh, tomorrow. By the way, also a quick, cheap, shameless plug. I'll be doing Court TV with great Vinnie Politan 8 p.m. tonight. Um, This super sticker here, Carrie Lama, Monica or Tim, why wouldn't the state call Luis Rivera back? This will go to Monica uh back to refute this since he is saying his name over and over. Is it just because this is preposterous and no need? Uh Georgia Kapelman said she wasn't planning to call any more rebuttal witnesses. Monica, can you elaborate?
3: Well, I don't I don't know why Charlie keeps or Mr. Adelson keeps saying uh Mr. Rivera's name. I if I was gonna call somebody back, I think I'd call back Katie. My guy Lewis didn't have anything to do with Charlie. He doesn't know. He he's not the conduit. Katie's the conduit. And in, and once the defense rests, Georgia can pull all kinds of rebuttal witnesses back. She may call. She may call Lewis Rivera back. She, I, I I would think she may call Katie back to 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 negate all of this foolishness that he's saying. You know, oh, this is all, you know, I had no idea. I, I, She came to my house and I took a Xanax after she told me her friend killed my brother-in-law. That sounds like the most ridiculous thing. So I think George is going to clean a lot of that up by calling some of these witnesses back. But... <laughs> She may not have to. She may she may make Charlie look like such a liar, liar pants on fire and cross exam cross examination. But she may not have to bring any of that back.
1: You know you yeah. don't want to
3: get you're um, not gonna Monica, you don't wanna get bogged down.
1: Yeah, I had a very um dark thought in court that I think you can address, which is you know, it's interesting. Tim said to me, when you when your client, Luis Rivera, who you're helping, gets on the stand. Daniel Rashbam has to be very careful because there's a street code. He's a Latin King gang member. You don't want to disrespect him. The whole state's, I'm sorry, the whole defense theory now is literally throwing the Latin King gang under the bus saying it was this guy, Sigfredo Garcia, it was extortion. Is—is is, If he gets convicted, is Charlie's life at risk in a state prison for this defense?
3: potentially i said this the other night he he may have to be in close management it depends on his classification he, he may have to be in protective custody um he he may have to be interstate compacted out to another another state and serve time mm-hmm. in that prison if he's convicted um there's a million things but You know, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know how many if the Department of Corrections is letting people live stream this trial. I mean, although we think this is the center of the universe, they may be watching, you know, something else. Um, But, yeah, I think anytime you are throwing shade or you're saying something disparaging against a pretty prominent, um, you know, documented gang. You're you're walking on you're walking on a real razor's edge there.
1: How do they determine if they need to transport you or move you? Do they work off the threats in the prison system? How do they know?
3: Well, on interstate compact, what you do is you you, he would have to request it. His lawyers would have to request an interstate compact. And what they do is they do a trade, an equal trade one for one. Um, You know, like if you if I've got an inmate in Indiana that is having a similar situation, if they can interstate compact between the prisons, that's typically how that works. As far as. His management and his classification custody level within the Department of Corrections, that'll be determined when he gets to the Northwest uh, Florida Reception Center or Lake Butler Reception Center. They will make all those determinations um, d- through that classification process. But I can tell you this, he's always going to have a separation status on him because once Mr. Rivera is done with his federal time, he's got to finish his state time. And so there will be, a, it's called a separatee. And uh, they will be they'll there'll be something about their jackets that they can't be at the um, within the same prison. Wow. I
1: mean, okay. would
3: you, do you think you think Charlie Adelson wants to face Luis Rivera with all mm-hmm. these all this foolishness he's been saying on the stand about about Rivera?
1: I don't I'm not even going to ask you what would happen. Do you want to tell well, us I what just, happened?
3: I will tell you this.
4: Luis Rivera is is a small guy,
3: but I wouldn't want to have to fight him.
1: Yeah. All right. That's I'll take your word for that. Uh, Angela says Monica Jordan is my favorite guest. I like the way she thinks and shares her processing strong mind. Uh, This question here from Boston, Sarah. It's such a shame that such a brilliant, loving and genuinely nice guy was taken from this world. R.I.P. Dan. I hope uh, Professor Markell's sons know how much he loved them. And someone said something about hearing children's voices. You do hear Ben and Lincoln, the children, on some of these wiretaps. And I'm sitting right next to Ruth yeah. and Phil Markell and Cherry Mar- Shelley Markell. And it is tough. And they're That's listening terrible, to it.
3: Right?
1: Yeah. Nettie Daniel here says, poor Ruth, having to listen to those babies' voices. During calls after the bump, no concern shown to protect them from extortionists. Tim Jansen. So, what? Back to what Monica was saying, and then we'll get um, we'll talk to Lewis about where he was when he heard that Dan Markell was murdered, and get some more color from him on the kind of person Dan was. Tim Jansen, this double extortion theory again. I like to, you know, I'm definitely not that smart, but I'm not that dumb, and I, I was just having a hard time. Following all this, but to Monica's point, if you can explain the the sort of the legal parameters here, does Charlie Adelson go to Daniel Rashbaum and say, "I was extorted, or did Rashbaum just create this defense theory out of the thin blue air? What does the law require
2: well his client- his client can't tell him that we're making this up. this is all a lie. You know, I don't know how he met Daniel. I don't know when he met Bone got together. But if his client comes in and says, this is what happened, and Daniel doesn't know any different, he can play that story. Um, I think what happened, they bought this jury consultant guy in. They looked at all the evidence, and this jury consultant said, this is the best defense. And then they scripted it out. They did mock trials. And I think that's how we got to where we are. Um, I don't know of any defense like this I've ever heard of. It defies logic. um you like you said, you you have to believe that the Fredo and mag Bonowa came to Tallahassee. never been here before, doesn't know Markel doesn't know what he looked like. They had no money, came up here twice and killed him. um that these coded conversations between mag Bonowa and Charlie two years after. She extorted one hundred thirty thousand. Was you can't explain that. Then we coded conversations with the mom, and then you have the final thing with the with the sister. Wendy comes up and says, "I didn't know anything about this for nine years. I found out about it after opening. I didn't know who killed my father or the father of my children, and my family let me move closer to the murderers and the blackmailers without telling me. It defies logic. It it just doesn't." ring true and i'm hoping the jury doesn't buy it
3: can i just piggyback on something go ahead i just wanted to add i want i saw a little bit of um charlie's testimony today and you know when she comes over to the house and it's very theatrical and um oh my gosh i'm i i have to tell you something sit down let's hold hands let's you know let me tell you about this I must have, I must have been saying too much to my friends because they've gone and killed your brother-in-law. Well, so when I, when I just kind of like try and process that, that sounds like complete insanity to me. So I was just bitch. I was just complaining to my friends about, you know, we were just talking about, oh, my, my new boyfriend, the dentist, his, his sister's ex-husbands are real prize. Let me tell you what, I don't know his name. I don't know his address. I don't know anything about him. But lo and behold, dumb and dumber get in a Prius and come up here and kill this man. That is what I cannot wrap my head around. That, like, is a jury, I, I'm not there. I'm in Texas this week, but is a jury really listening to this testimony and thinking that, oh my gosh, I was just talking about this and holy smokes, they went and killed your brother in law? I'm so sorry. We can't talk about this anymore. I mean that just sounds Monica, crazy. Hey Monica,
2: isn't it true yeah. Louis Rivera gave us the full example of what he would have done? Why kill the person? We'll just rob the lady. That's, Listen,
3: my guy's that's my Louis guy's a Rivera. heist guy. My guy's not a killer. My guy's a heist yeah. guy. He's gonna do a drug rip. He's gonna he's gonna <laughs> rob you. He's gonna do something like that. He he said from day one, let's take the lady's money. This is dumb. This is a bad plan, and. Yeah. Lewis was never a fan of Katie. He thought Siegfried was hen-packed, and he, w- and he thought, and, and if that's offensive, please don't cancel, can- cancel me. I'm sorry. Uh, but Lewis thought this was a, a, a dumb idea. Of course, he wasn't going to turn the money down. But uh, he just couldn't believe that Sigfrida was so whipped by this woman that he would get involved in this. And, yeah, but I, and yet I, here we are with this tragedy.
1: Go ahead, I, Lewis. Uh, real quick, thank you to Mel Grissett for the super sticker. Lewis, your thoughts? See, I think it's interesting because I was
0: I was talking to Webster about the case earlier, and I think a defense lawyer only really had two options. And so I think what we saw him do was we saw him a We saw him embrace all the bad facts. We know the state has put such a compelling case together from the Dolce Vita tapes to the transcripts, to the recorded conversations, to the bump. There's so much bad evidence for Mr. Adelson. And so if you're sitting there coming up with a case as a defense lawyer, you have to come up with a case that doesn't force all the state's evidence to be false. And so you have to come up with a case that can consume and the state's case can be subsumed in. Correct. And so which means when they got around a room and went to workshop it, the only way that all the state's evidence can still be true and Charlie can be not guilty is this extortion story.
2: Right.
0: So I think that this is it's not a great one. But this story allows for all the state's evidence to be true. It allows for Sigfredo and Maguana and and Lewis to still have been the killers. It allows for him to still have paid all the stapled money. It allows for him to have been a part of the plot, even if now it's he was a part of it after, not before. And so this theory allows for the state's case to still be true and for them to attempt to sow some reasonable doubt, which is. He was not. He was not part of the initial planning, but he was extorted after the murder. It's not super plausible, but he's he has to have a defense. He has to come up with a theory, something to give the jury. To if there's one juror in there that's arguing for him in back of that room, and Tim knows what it's like. You know, when you're picking a jury, you're looking for the leaders. That's how defense lawyers pick juries. And so you look for the leaders, and you're hoping that if you get a leader that's on your side, all you need is one strong leader. And you'll pull the followers. You never have more than two or three leaders on a jury. It's usually only one or two. Yeah. And those one or two wrestle it out. And whichever one wins, so goes the case. And so I think he tried to, this whole theory is to sell whoever they believe their leader
1: is. By but the way, you know, something, Lewis, tells, some, something tells me that Lewis is going to end up becoming the legal scholar that Dan Markell was. You should be teaching the law, man. You're teaching me stuff right now. But uh, the pay is better as a defense attorney, no doubt. Uh <laughs> Tim Chanson, what were you going to say?
2: I think, Lewis, did you, you saw the opening. They had a jury consultant come in and pick the jury mm-hmm. and do all the voir dire, and then the whole team packed up and left. And then Dan gets up with this crazy theory. He built no relationship with the jury, no rapport with the jury. I've never seen anything like that. No, I would like to
3: add one thing to, to what Lewis Baptiste said. I, I've done more than 50 Capital murder trials where the government seeking the death penalty. So, so I'm pretty familiar with workshopping stuff, and I understand what you're saying. But Dan Rashbaum cannot suborn perjury.
2: That's right. That's
3: right. And I think on some of the things that he is saying to to make all of these pieces fit is man, he he is in
5: real
2: he's dangerous
3: water. Tim and I he's talked on the, about this. He's walked the line. And, yeah. And I think, you know, I don't I'm I'm not saying the man's suborning perjury. I'm not yeah. saying that. But like when Tim, I've been in these workshops, we don't go, oh, well, let's we have to answer this. We have to we actually have to tell the truth in, in our defenses. We can't just right. make it up because it's great. And if that's right. what Mr. Roshbaum's done with this witness, he needs to be very, very careful.
1: That's interesting. Uh, Tim Jansen, just to clarify, because I'm not yeah. a lawyer, but suborning perjury, basically, Monica suggesting that. You're not suggesting this, but what it means, I guess, is to sort of fib to make the puzzle pieces fit, if you will. Is that correct?
2: You can accentuate or you can't accelerate uh, suborning of perjury. If your client tells you something and then he, you know he's going to get on the stand and say something else, you have an obligation to go to the court, go to the judge, say, judge, my client's going to testify. I want to do it in a narrative form. I let you go up there. You say, OK, Mr. Adelson, what happened? Okay, what else happened? What next? You can't force feed questions that you know are supporting perjury. You got to let them talk in the narrative. That's how it's done. I don't know what Dan knew. I don't know when he knew it. For all I know, maybe this is what they told Dan. Maybe that's why they brought Dan in. Maybe that's why they don't have co-counsel. <clears throat> but I can't say it, but it's it's such a far-fetched defense It's hard to believe everything that's damaging they've been able to try to undermine every piece. And it just seems like it's a well-rehearsed
1: orchestrated line of defense. Hence the script line from the judge. Um, Monica, we only have Monica for about another five, six minutes. So I want to get the most out of her. And then Patty, I promise I'm coming back to you and thank you for being here. And by the way, I got to say a special Huge thanks to Steve Cohen, who's been by my side all week long here in Tallahassee, getting me the best guests. Monica, what do you think of Steve Cohen? Great guy. Oh, he's the best. He is Nobody. the absolute
3: Nobody. best.
1: <laughs> Steve Cohen. Nothing man, like good going guy. on a road
3: trip. Going on a road yeah. trip, and oh my gosh, I forgot my wallet. This is crazy.
1: <laughs> Steve Cohen is the man. Uh, then I've got to thank Space Coast out in Los Angeles. He's he is doing all the work behind the scenes and of course the coe back at global headquarters in miami um she is helping out but uh steve cohen flagging down guests left and right and making this the best true crime show in all the land uh, monica sage lake says does anyone think that donna helped create this story do you have any thoughts on that
3: the only person i truly believe like is like the mark at the table you know they say if you don't know who the mark at the table is it's probably you um i think it's probably the dad i think the dad is the one that probably doesn't know what in the world's going on i think i do think donna and charlie did our our co-conspirators but the interesting thing to me when charlie was acting like mr tough guy and i'm gonna f these people up if they come to my family and blah 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 and you know foghorn leghorned all this funny story now he's like oh my god i was terrified i couldn't go to the police i got this you know i think it's the police i think it's the police going to my mom he's now saying he thinks it's you know law enforcement and if that's the case And why wouldn't you go, hey, we're being extorted. Come help us. You know, now you know you're under investigation.
1: Monica, and that's where I got so lost. It just got so convoluted. So Charlie's answer to that is he didn't go to police because he didn't. these guys were so bad that he didn't want to get hurt. But then the theory also is that Katie was the mastermind and he's having these sweet nothing conversations with her. So it just... Again, it goes to this point that Daniel Rashbaum is literally bending and twisting these puzzle pieces. That's his uh, analogy to try to fit together. Uh, Look at these comments. Allison. Good, uh, Louis Baptiste is electrifying. Great summary, Louis Baptiste. Our moderator, I am not T-Pain. Louis is freaking rad. Followed by Maureen Summons. That was an amazing analysis, Louis. <laughs> Tim Jansen, you're in trouble. You might lose that job, Tim Jansen. I got it. Um, Lewis can take over for me. <laughs> he's saying, Patty, to you, uh, you've been in the courtroom alongside me, and we haven't discussed this specifically, but there's one juror in that juror box who's gotten me a little concerned. Yeah, he's just making some weird faces. He's leaning forward a lot when Rashbound talks. He's really checking out. By the way, most of the jurors made absolutely no eye contact with Charlie Adelson, <laughs> except for this one. But what what have you made of the jurors, Patty? What do you think is going on he's, in their minds He's been
4: right now? consistent. To me, he looks very intense. Like, he's leaning forward at everything everyone says. He's the juror that called out the gallery for making mm. noises and looking at him. He has kind of been, to me, I'm a female, obviously – Kind of odding and flirting with the juror next to him.
2: I just think he's very
4: odd. I think he's just very odd and creepy, and he's creeping her out. and You can watch her, all of that movement from her today was getting away from him. Um, I'm praying he's an alternate.
3: Yeah, it'll be fascinating. fascinating. I'm praying he's just, just so you know what you'll you'll find fascinating and tim and and lewis know this when they come back if there's a jury question when they're deliberating you'll start seeing alliances and you'll start seeing uh kind of who the leader is like lewis said like you'll start seeing a a leader and those will follow and so you'll start if if she really is starting to get aggravated with him when you'll start seeing more of that by next Uh, week you'll it'll be real obvious
1: Yeah. Sorry, uh, Patty. I just have you muted when you're not going because you're uh, I'll come back to you in just a moment because there's a lot of noise coming off your mic. But uh, Maureen Walsh uh, has gifted five memberships. I would say best guest, better community. Thank you so much. This is uh, something I'm glad John Singer said yesterday because I might be in a different state of mind now. But John Singer, of course, a lawyer out in New York and following this case not just any lawyer, great lawyer, said to expect this defense. And don't worry, Georgia will make an excellent recovery on cross-exam and closing arguments. Monica Jordan, you know Georgia well. How long is this cross going to be? And is this going to be precision, like laser precise questioning that just rips Charlie's theory to shreds?
3: Well, Georgia Georgia is... um quality over quantity she doesn't have to she doesn't have to negate every or explain every every lie she's going to go in for the kill and just probably like rapid fire him is what I predict and uh I think it's going to be really great I mean who who knows the facts of this case better than Georgia this is her third time do Or maybe fourth, I don't know. Uh, she's done it all the way since the original grand jury. So she's... That's her fourth? I don't think he's going to be able... I don't think he's going to ever... I don't think he's going to be able to keep up with her. I don't know if he's medicated. He is so... With such a flat affect, that is not what I expected from him, especially after we saw that big machismo uh, on some of these tapes and how he was going to get to the bottom of this. And, you know, man... That's that's gonna be a, a pay per view. People would pay for admission to watch Georgia do this cross.
1: Yeah, it's interesting though. I mean, I'm just comparing him to a recent trial we covered, which of course is Alec Murdoch, who is just so unlikable. And I'm not saying in any way that Charlie is likable, but he's kind of soft spoken. Uh, he he wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting a lot more bravado yeah. from him. I'm sure Daniel Rashbaum said. You know, don't talk. Let me just let me lead with my questions. You answer exactly what I'm asking you and keep it humble, because uh, that's kind of what we're getting right now. Right. Um, Monica, I, I know to, you're gonna, I'm sorry, okay. I
3: have to leave. Monica, um, thank thanks so much. much for having me. Uh, Patty, it was great meeting you, Lewis. It's always great to see Monica, you. Monica. Is I this can... going to
1: be a conviction? Yes or no?
3: Oh, man, I don't ever take those bets because jur- <laughs> jurors are like, man. I can't. How about take this that
1: bet. Bet. When are we going to get a verdict? Which day?
3: <laughs> I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I just hope it's not hung.
1: Yeah, because no.
3: I to put this family through another trial without leading into another uh, arrest is going to be too much for this family. I mean, that's just a lot. But it's, it's This is a tough one. I mean, I, I don't like this juror. you guys keep mentioning. I mean, I haven't been there. I haven't seen him. I, I wasn't there for any of the picking the jury. So I don't know anything about this guy. Maybe he's just a little quirky. Um, or maybe he's a plant that just said all the right questions to get on and both sides were out of strikes. I mean, we've all had that situation. We're out of strikes and we're stuck with this, you know, this guy. So it's tough. But um, you guys are doing great. Thank you for having me.
1: Monica, have a great trip out in Texas. We'll see you when you get back. Travel safely. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, guys. See you, Monica. Eric Winomo, do defense attorneys, Tim Jansen, ever point blank ask their clients if they are guilty of the crime? Do you ever do that? No. What happens if you do that?
2: (laughs) I've limited my defense and I'll be working on a plea.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, People are saying Joel you see the jury what's your take Uh, I talked about this briefly Uh, today first of all this jury has been unbelievably engaged they're taking notes they're leaning forward they're looking I've noticed they are not um, Enamored let's put it that, that, that way they're not enamored by Charlie Adelson they're not looking at him They're really keeping their gaze away from him. Some are looking out into the gallery to maybe, and by the way, the gallery was admonished first thing this morning for making facial gestures yesterday, shaking heads, nodding heads. The judge made it very clear. Don't do that. There can't be any outside influence, but the jurors are very engaged, especially when there's wiretaps or video or audio. Uh, They are particularly engaged There's been a lot of back and forth and a lot of witnesses called. So today by far was the hardest day to get through. I felt like everyone was struggling to stay awake and just follow (laughs) what was going on. And I think that that is, you know, going to be a problem for Rashbaum Kelly Jansen, why does this Florida jury not get to ask questions? I thought that was a norm in Florida. Lewis, is that a norm? Yeah. I think it's
0: it's, Uh, under rule, Florida rule Florida rule coming up procedure Three three seven one or three three seven two. One of those rules allows, and I dealt with this issue before. It allows for a juror to ask a question, but it's up to the discretion of the trial judge. Right. And so, Judge Everett, I've tried, I've been in court in ju- trials with Judge Everett. Judge Everett doesn't allow questions from the jury. It's just, and so it's up to a trial judge. I've had other trials in the same courthouse where, where questions have been allowed, and I so to do it. Hankinson did it. Yep. And so I think it's in the juror would write their question down. Hankinson would take the note card and he'd, he, after both counsels were finished crossing or directing, Hankinson would read the question. And after, after the witness answered, he'd ask each lawyer, if they had a question based on that question. And hey. so, but Everett doesn't do it. And so it's purely up to the trial judge. And I think for Everett, I think Everett is Everett's wants a clean trial. You know, the last thing the judge wants is a mistrial. And so, whenever you have juror questions come in, you have to have the lawyers go object to them if they have an objection, if it's a proper question. And so as lawyers, we know the rules of evidence and we know how to ask proper questions. And usually we do, and we try to ask proper questions. And so, but a juror doesn't understand that. A juror might want to ask a question that's really important, that matters, but has been excluded or ruled out in a motion and limiting. And so when you want a clean trial, like on a super high profile case, I think that the side of caution is to not allow questions. And I think that's what Judge Everett is doing.
1: Um, uh, Sarah, Ski Hat Sarah here has uh, a question for the panel. And uh, Patty, getting some requests, is any way to kind of lean your phone against something that would be super helpful because it's uh, real rocky? Uh, hang on one sec. Go ahead.
4: I'm blocked of a church and I'm trying to get out and I'm not even kidding. All
1: right. <laughs> All right, well, I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bounce I'm gonna bounce you out for a minute. We'll bring you back once you're settled in. Okay. I'll bring you back in. And there you go. I I I'm in the control of the controls, Tim Jansen. Question for you from Ski Hat Sarah. Question for the panel. Do you think Charlie made a mistake taking the stand?
2: He had to take the stand. The opening arguments, he basically all but told him he's gonna take the stand. The questions on Pat Sanford. He had to come up with the extortion defense. Who else was he going to call? The only person he could have called would have been his mother, but he agreed not to call them. So he had to call um, his his client. And uh, I think his client wanted to. His client, client looked like he was on Xanax. He clearly seemed pretty calm. Uh, he answered the questions. He looked at the jurors. I mean, it looked like Charlie felt comfortable on the stand. Um, and that's not the same Charlie you saw in Dolce Vita that was – Swinging his arms, making threats, he's gonna kill somebody. I got a gun. No, this was the low key Charlie, the the metamorphosis Charlie, um, which is kind of interesting. What I write my article for tomorrow, the metamorphosis yeah. of Charlie Adelson.
1: There That's you go. Yeah, it's a great yeah. title. And, and when the when the when proceedings began today, Charlie Adelson was asked, "Why are you taking the stand?" He said, "My life depends on it," and sure. I would. I don't know that I'd be as calm as he is. I'd probably need about seven Xanax to get through it. So, uh, Lewis, to you, where were you the day that Dan Markell was murdered? How did you find out? I, I was at home. I know it because
0: um, I was playing a game. Funny enough, you know, when you, it was this, I was playing a game and I, uh, Steven started calling me. He started calling me. I, I missed the first call, he called me two or three more times. My phone was in another room. I went and got it. I'm like, are you okay? We had just started working together. So we were, I mean, this was, our relationship was new. Too new for four calls in a row. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, he tells me, and we joke a lot. We have a loving relationship. And so I love him. And so he tells me, "Lewis, I'm like, what's up? You're okay. Something wrong. You need me? You need my help? You're right. What kind of, do you need a lawyer? He's like, he's like, it's nothing funny. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? He's like, Dan Markell's gone. And I kind of just like, I was like, whoa, what are you, like, I stopped and I was kind of confused for a second. I, said, I mean, like, gone where, you know, because we understand what gone means, but the, a four letter word can have so much more magnitude, right? And so when he said, I said, gone, like, gone? He's like, yeah. And I remember sitting there in the living room, like, whoa. And then his next, and he switched gears, you know, his, he switched gears fast, like, look, <laughs> I'm gonna give your name to TPD because they they want to talk to people. And I'm like, talk to people about what? And I think in the early stages, and I think what he said next was so, you know, confusing for me because he said, Look, they want to find out, you know, they want to talk to his students to try to see if he had any problems with students. And it just it just shows me that in the early stages, you know, TPD was so lost as to what was going on. Right. Why was a you know a Jewish law professor murdered in his car, you know, and so. Of course, you start looking for people with common motive, common motives, obviously relationship, divorces. You look for students who might have a grudge. You know, And I think that that's what they wanted to talk to me about. I think I never talked to him because when I talked to him the next day, Webster had spoken to someone at TPD. Again, I don't recall who. But at that point, I think they were starting to even in that early stage to, you know, weed students out and figure out going a different angle, the domestic angle is what it seemed like. But I remember, you know, he said, he said, gone. And I was, I said, gone, what gone, where? And
1: I said, gone, gone. Did you know anything about uh, his home life? I mean, usually you don't with professors. Did you know that he was going through a divorce? Had you heard any of that? I heard none. And so the
0: deal, and I didn't know this until maybe like five years ago, I didn't know this. You know, I, I worked with Webster five years before he told me this. But the deal was that Professor Markell said, I'll recommend you a law student, but you have to screen my case away from the law student. And so I, when I started, I was looking at all our files. I never saw a file for Dan Markell because that it was screened. Like when a lawyer has a conflict, you can screen a case Mm -hmm. away from that lawyer. So the firm can still take the case. And so I was screened out of his case as if I had conflict because he didn't want me a student knowing to know what was going on because it, it, and I said this today because I sat there this morning. So I watched I, the jury you're talking about. I, I concur in all your comments. I sat there until lunchtime and had to go to court. But um, it, it talks about the testament of who Markel is, because the entire time he taught me, you know, this guy is going through arguably the worst time in his life. You know, he's going through a super contentious divorce. His, his ex-wife is trying to take his kids who he loves more than anything in the world. And he still came to class every day and taught us about legal principles. And none of us were any of the wiser or had any idea that his entire world was literally shattering the entire time. Because I mean, he's teaching us, you know, in, in in that spring semester, in the middle of a fight of his life. You know what I mean? Or uh, we end up being a fight for his life, and he, we didn't know it then. But he's teaching us, and we never knew. Just I think that's a testament to his character, his ability to compartmentalize and still, you know, come and do what he wanted to do and what he loved to do, which is teach.
1: And uh, Lewis, if you want to think of uh, maybe one or two stories related to Dan that might even have nothing to do with the law, and I will uh, come back to you on that. Kate, too, and it's good to have April back. Hopefully we got a steady cam. We'll come back to you in a moment, uh, April. Yeah, sorry Um, about that. All good. If Charlie Adelson is uh, found guilty, Tim Jansen, will they go for Donna? We talked about this yesterday. Has your mind changed at all?
2: I told you, after seeing all the evidence in the case, I think Donna's got some liability. I think they're going to wait and see if they get Charlie. I think they're going to want to interview some of these jurors, and they will. Don't contact the state. And I want to see what they thought of the credibility of, of Mag Uh, And then they may go after Donna. But first, got to get a conviction against Charlie, and then see how the jury felt, see how quick the verdict is for Charlie, um, and then reroute and maybe go after Donna. Clearly, those tape recalls. She's clearly up to her head in it, and paying the money and this whole double extortion. Donna will not survive on the stand like Charlie
1: did. Yeah, there's no way. She'll she'll crack on. She'll wilt under the pressure, Tim. She'll wilt under the pressure. Certainly under the cross. Ah, uh, Christina R- Ryhill here. Thank you so much for the super sticker. Um, and I, I found it tedious but effective for the defense, even though I think Charlie is guilty here, a question for you from Yala, Tim. How long does the cross from Georgia need to be to be effective after a filibuster direct? Before we get there, Tim Jansen, when he was at the doctor this morning, asked me a question. He said, who is objecting to the defense counsel? And I said, Georgia. He said, that's who's going to do the cross. I never knew that. Whoever's objecting does the cross. So Georgia will, if Tim is right, do the cross. But what about this? How long does it need to be to be effective?
2: Well, he's gone eight hours, right? He's got another hour tomorrow, so that's nine hours. I wouldn't think she'd need more than three hours, one-third. She does a precision scalpel, and uh, long enough. He's going to survive the first couple questions, maybe the first half hour. There's going to be another period where it's going to be a little tense, and then he's going to get to the last third where she's going to have him on the ropes. And that's where she can do her most damage. I'd say three hours. And if I can,
1: yes, go ahead.
0: I think Tim and Tim knows Georgia so well. I think honestly, Georgia is, um, he's, she's Adelson's nightmare. <laughs>
2: you
0: know, it really is as a lawyer. I like to cross. I love to cross, but there's two kinds of crossers. There's a kind like me who I want to, I, I can't wait to get out of the chair. I'm itching to jump out of the chair and Tim knows, you know, you, you have that feeling where you just want to jump out the chair and you're like leaning against it and you're, you're just ready to pounce. There's that kind of lawyer who crosses. That's not Georgia. Mm -hmm. Right. And so George, and that's honestly what would be better here because that's his strategy has obviously been to wear the prosecutor down to wear the jury down with the filibuster. And if it was a prosecutor, if, if a prosecutor like me, it would probably be effective because I would be so tired and I'd be so ready to cross, I'd be frustrated that I had to wait eight hours, Tim, to yeah. ask my questions, right? It's a it's a nightmare.
2: Hey, but, imagine if Jack Campbell had to do the cross. Oh
0: man, yeah, no, no, no. He Jack's oh, like me. Jack's ready Jack's, to jump out of the he'd chair. He'd
1: about to have a heart attack. He takes his
0: glasses off and put them back. Right. back on.
1: But I think so Clark, Lewis, he, ha- Lewis, how long do you expect this to last across? I'd be surprised if
0: it went longer than 2 hours. I would be firmly surprised if Georgia went longer than 2 hours. Georgia, I think Monica said it before she left. Georgia is precision cuts. If you saw her in court today, I mean like I saw her for the first 4 hours when I sat there, as he was talking, she was just going through her notes. Yeah. You know, crossing lines out, adding lines, putting asterisks and highlighting. That's what she was doing. Georgia is the, you know, she's chief of precision cuts. That's what makes her such a great lawyer is that it makes her hard to beat for me as a defense lawyer because she's always so calm. Even when when the house is burning, you don't know it on Georgia's face because she just sits there. You know, the great news and the bad news don't move her too much, which is what makes makes her so effective. And so I think-
1: She's so even keel. I mean, it's unbelievable. And and I'm an emotional guy. So when I watch her, I'm just in awe that she can just sort of hang back. And I was watching her. She was taking a lot of notes. And then at one point, Uh, During this long period of uh, direct, she was doing this on the table, um, just sitting there, just like kind of biding her time. Um, It's going to be fascinating to watch this. I'm glad you said two hours. Maybe I'll get to uh, see closing arguments tomorrow. Moto 88, and then I'm getting back uh, to Penny in a minute. Did I get that name right? I'm sorry. just totally... uh, Patty. I don't know why I called you, Penny. I knew I was off. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Moto. It's been a long day. STS Nation. Best guest, best host, best mods, best COE and best guest host. Thank you for all your hard work. Jessica K. This is because I'm so thankful for the excellent coverage. Thank you. Uh, we've been going and going and going. We're going to stay through the end of this trial. Tim Jansen and I, and now Louis Baptiste are going to cover more cases. There's no way Louis is escaping my grip now. Uh, mm-hmm. Once I have someone like this in my grasp he's gonna he's gonna be here uh you're gonna start getting harassing text messages from steve cohen because that's what he does best uh but this you're right here is a talent Louis baptiste i've been in broadcast news over 25 years i guarantee you you're gonna see Louis baptiste on core tv and the others as soon as they poach him from my show but hopefully lewis will remember that he started right here on sts is it a problem tim jansen and then i'm coming back to you, Patty, is it a problem, Tim, that the judge is laughing at Rashbaum a little bit? He's poking fun at him. I don't think he's doing it in front of the jurors. What say I, you,
2: Tim? Yeah, I don't think he's done it in front of the jurors. He's had a poker face in front of the jurors. Uh, and It's gone back and forth. Uh, he's been laughing with the judge, making comments and joking. But I don't
1: see anything that shows he's biased in any way. He's been more than fair. He has a good sense of humor, the judge, and uh, there are a lot of technical issues. And kind of, at one point, Rashbaum looked at Judge Everett, and Judge Everett said, I'm not a, uh, what's the guy's name, Nye? What's his first name? The science guy, whatever his first yeah. name. And so he kind of made a I joke.
2: Hankinson, him. if Hankinson would have seen what happened today in court,
1: Lewis, with the
2: computer not working, could, what, was, what do you think Hankinson would have done to the Miami lawyer? Hankinson
0: would have been very, Hankinson, I've got the Hankinson special, is what we call it. It's to be called Hankinson and what- special and it's, it's not good. And when you get it, you leave with your head in your shoulders and you're a sad person. You know, Hankinson, Hankinson would have said he would have excused the jury and he would have ripped the lawyer. Yes, yeah. so I expect that when the jury's here, that every single moment, the jury in the box, that we're being the jury's in that box, that we're, we're being productive. If we're not productive for a single moment, we have just wasted the precious time of citizens. And he give you the he'd give you the jury speech every time he'd never <laughs> give you a
1: pass. I, I was getting tense for Rashbaum because he and I are similar, and that I'm horrible with technology. I would have needed the COE next to me the whole time. Uh, Patty, to you, you and I are similar. We're really just observers in there. What has kind of stood out the most to you so far?
4: So far, it's been the pace. I like to talk. So it's the pace of Rashbaum speaking, it's so yeah. slow. And it's annoying to people who are drivers. It's annoying. And I think it's turning those 15 people off. They were writing. They were very engaged in the beginning of Charlie's long, drawn-out story. And now they're just stretching, moving around. One girl was reading the palm of her hand for a while. They're out. So I think, I think that's worrisome for him. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And we'll, we'll get some more color from you in a moment from Hey Mona, seriously, Joel on Carl's commentary. How dare you watching Carl over me? I love Carl Steinbeck. Oh, uh, we were talking about you and laughing. Carl thought you left, but you were bent over. One thing you got to know about me, and this is probably no surprise. I've got a horrendous back. It hasn't acted up in a long time because I'm trying to be, um, in good shape. So I'm around for my children. So I'm going to the gym. It's been good for years, but something about my, right now, my mother's screaming at the computer. Why is he doing this? Um, my upper back, my neck torture in there. It's really hard. The Markels actually brought cushions. There's the kind of information you get when you're inside the jury rooms, uh, inside the, uh, the gallery, I should say, Tim Jansen, the trial today started With Daniel Rashbaum saying, did you cause the death of Dan Markell to Charlie? Absolutely no. Did you put instructions in a diaper bag? That's what was uh, presumed happened, according to Katie McVanna testimony. Remember, he put instructions about for the hitmen in a plastic bag, which went in a paper bag, which went in a grocery bag. He says, no. How do you feel really nervous? Why? My whole life depends on it. And then this goes on to say his upbringing was normal. By the way, Lance Watson with a super sticker. Great coverage, Tim. Hope to see you. I think my question is obvious, but why does he start there? He's just setting the stage, allowing some humanity from Charlie Adelson. And do the jurors see through this? I don't think most kids of dentists are considered to be, you know, a pretty normal life. He did say his dad lost some money at one point, but what is the purpose of all that setup?
2: Well, one, he wants to personalize him. He wants the jury to hear him say he didn't do it. And maybe he knew how boring his presentation was going to be, that he wanted to get that out front so they could hear him say it. Um, you always want, he, he wanted to make it like an emphatic, I didn't have anything to do with this. I didn't do it. And I want you to know I had nothing to do with it. And now I want you to know about me. Tried to portray him like he's one of them. He was never really one of them. He forgot to mention about his three, his Ferrari he was driving is $3.6 million. He's not the person in the jury. Um, he wanted a person. That's okay. You give his background. Wanted to emphasize he went to public schools, went to a small school. But he really was a member of the affluent society. What he was doing with these young girls he's dating, he's throwing his money around at them, giving this money around like it's nothing. They're not going to blend with him. He's not going to be one of them. And then he went on with his defense. So he tried to personalize him and have him say, "I didn't do it." It's, that's not yeah. a problem. I don't have a problem with that. And he listen, I don't say he didn't do it.
1: And I don't want to beat up Daniel Roshbaum either. And I want to get into some of the kind of the minutia of the direct in a moment. Ned Smith. For a minute, this could be Steve Cohen, because he's the only other guy I know who says super duper. Thank you, Joel, and best guess. Your coverage has been super duper. That's a Meve Moenism right there. How about them Rangers? Uh, Helen MP for the COE, and she put this up there, because I have a feeling she's done a lot of solo this week. I missed Halloween. This is why I'm out of traditional news, because I would have missed a whole lot more. John Patzold, very generous. Thank you for the super sticker and uh, here's a super sticker that we've already uh, gone through, so I'm not going to pull it up. Uh, Lewis, back to you. He has questioned Charlie Adelson. By the way, I took uh, some notes from people that were commenting in our chat. They said that Charlie is actually much more likable to them than Wendy, and they said credible, uh, but then went on to say that this was obviously all rehearsed. So he's asked about the divorce between Wendy and Dan Markell and Charlie Adelson says her divorce didn't really impact my life. And he's asked, Char- uh, Daniel Rashbaum, you know, there are these very hateful emails about dressing the kids up in Nazi uniforms, very antisemitic. Uh, there's accusations that, you know, the Adelson's were litigious and all these things. And, and Rashbaum starts bringing up some of that and asked Charlie for an explanation. And he said, my mom basically wanted to be a jerk because he was being a jerk back to us. How does that all play with the jurors?
0: So first I want to say, I think that, you know, I think Charlie did a good job. You know, obviously, obviously I I know the outcome I'm looking for, but I think it's important to note and just be honest and call the balls, the balls and the strikes, the strikes. I think like Tim said, he was calm. He was cool and he was collected. And most importantly, I think a strategic decision that was made early on, I think it's going to answer your question was that sometimes you have the witness sell the story. In this case, I thought it was very interesting that if you look at the way the questions are framed, it's really Walshbaum selling the story, selling the narrative in his questions. And he's really just telling the narrative in his questions and sort of pulling Charlie along with him. And he's doing that so that Charlie doesn't have to seem as if Charlie's selling the story of this extortion but he's just answering the questions and providing the information about the extortion to the jury as directed by his counsel. So I think that was the first strategic decision. And I think that answers your question because I think what it does is, it's all those bad facts about dressing the kids in those horrible uniforms, about all those threatening emails. It's able, it, what Roshbaum did today is, he was able, I think at a little, at least a little bit, to separate the Charlie Adelson that testified before this jury from the Charlie that sent those emails. And I think that's what he was able to do. Now, I think Georgia, Georgia's job is going to be pretty clear. Georgia's job is going to be to come tomorrow and show the jury that this is the same Charlie. This is the same guy who sent all those emails, who was very actively a part of this divorce, even though he was not a party. Of course he wanted to paint the picture like you just described, it didn't matter that much to me. I think, he, if you recall, he testified that Wendy was not that surprised or upset that she lost the motion for relocation, which is obviously crucial because she's a lawyer and she expected to lose. It didn't bother me much because Wendy told me she expected to lose. It bothered my parents some, mm-hmm. right? But everyone knows this case, including all the you know all the guests who are watching, and everyone knows that this entire family was livid, pissed that. Um, Judge Hobbs denied that motion for relocation and that it meant that Wendy would not be able to relocate back to South Florida and that she would be stuck in Tallahassee. We knew that every single person, and we know that because we see the emails where Charlie says he needs to know he's not in control. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which goes, which if she's staying in Tallahassee, then that means, and that that was his objection to her relocation, that means that he was in control. So I think that George's job tomorrow is going to be to refocus the picture, refocus the camera, refocus the screen to show that this is the same Charlie that Tim was just talking about. The rich playboy driving around for Farp, driving around Ferraris, throwing out cash, sending crazy messages, trying to control what's happening in Tallahassee, uh, and the same one that organized
1: uh, the hit. By the way, you'll be happy to know that Fancy Fiction helped Steve Cohen to stop his Casio digital watch from beeping at the top of every hour, which was giving him a heart attack and giving everyone within three feet of him a heart attack. As Judge Everett does not like beeping, Judge Everett has a good sense of humor. He seems like a, a nice, good guy. John Patzold here with another super sticker. I'm actually going to toss this right back to you, Lewis, and then we're going to get back to Tim. Precision cuts are fine. But in my experience, juries do not always respond to logic, but rather more likely it only takes one to respond emotionally to a handsome, charismatic Charlie and he wins your take. So, first of all, I think we have to talk about what the last two words he wins. What does that
0: mean here? I think Tim and I could, you know, obviously no one knows what the jury is going to do. But if Tim and I were trying this case and obviously Tim try, have tried tried to hold out more crazy than I. Charlie's best day here is a hung jury, right, which means that obviously the jurors can't agree on any verdict. That's Charlie's best day. If Charlie gets a not guilty or an acquittal. Then my ability to read jurors and my knowledge of the justice system has to be reexamined. And as a trial lawyer, I have to go have to go back to school and restudy if Charlie gets a not guilty. I just don't think a not guilty is realistic. I think his best day is a hung jury. Um, because you can't, everyone back there can't agree. And so I think that's the win that Roshbaum's, he's telling his client are not guilty, but looking at all the mountain of evidence and I let Tim jump in, that's just
1: not realistic to me, Tim. Yeah, Sandra Johnson, $2 super sticker. This is an interesting question, Tim Jansen. Do you think Charlie will lose his cool on the stand or will he lose the thread of his story or both or neither? Very interesting.
2: I don't think he'll lose his cool. He's, he's pretty well prepared. He's a smart guy. He's an educated guy. And he's had over a year to prepare this story. He knows his answers backwards and forwards. He knows where the, the bad parts are. He's got an excuse for everyone. And I'm sure his lawyers said, whatever you do, don't lose your temper. And I think he's the kind of guy that can control his temper. Um, I think a win for him is a hung jury. Um, but, you know, you get hung juries and then you have to try it again this whole defense is not going to play the second time because the state will be ready and they're going to, they're going to sharpen their knives and they're going to be ready for this defense. And it's going to be a little different. Um, Katie McDonough. Well, you know, i told you she wasn't going to testify. She did. She ended up really not doing anything for the state. Gave, gave a lot of impeachment by a couple of witnesses against her. Why they couldn't get her to tell the truth on all the silly things that didn't matter. Um, And I'm sure they're going to argue that in closing. But you got a former law enforcement guy on the jury. I don't know how that happened. Right, Louis? A former law enforcement on the jury. He is not going to vote not guilty. So the best he's going to get is a hung jury. And um, they may. But I I still think she can pull it out. Uh, She's good. And she's sharp. And she knows the case. And while he might have an answer for everything, some things he
1: doesn't have an answer for. By the the way, Tim Catalina is asking uh, if it is a hung jury, would Charlie be let out of jail on some sort of bond? No, no chance. He already had had
2: that bond. He already had a bond issue.
1: Okay, so he's staying in. Jennifer Ray, I watched all eight hours and only remember the first twenty minutes. And by the way, I got about twelve minutes before I've got to hop off for court TV. It's usurping my own show, which I cannot believe, but we're, we're all over this case and we'll be back tomorrow. Coe, I was just about to read that. Old Lady Snoop is a friend of the show. Of course she is. Old Lady Snoop is in all the time. Teresa is a friend of the show. She's either in the Republic of Ireland or Scotland. It's hard to keep them all straight. But uh, lest you think we are not a global audience, you are wrong. What if Donna runs? Lewis, if I was her... I might be considering that right now. I was kind of joking, saying she's, I'd be on a rowboat from Key West to Cuba. It's 90 miles. Uh, do you think there's any chance she bails right now?
0: No, I think, I, I think there's no chance. I think this entire family been, has been, been under FBI surveillance since 2014. I think that when Charlie says he could have ran, I think there was, there was no airport he could fly out of. Where in, in, in that he, you know, Tim being a felt, former federal prosecutor, he knows all about it. I think that this entire family, clearly the FBI's involved. At the very initial steps, at the initial stages, the FBI is involved. So I think this whole idea that he could have just left and he could have been gone, or that she can leave, I think this case is much too high profile um, for the for the state attorney's office to let a potential defendant slip, uh, you know, leave in the middle of the night and go into the wind. I just don't think that's realistic here.
1: And so, do you think she's being watched right now? Because you know, here's another question. Before I get to that question, because I like to ask a lot of questions because I'm a journalist. Is there any chance? At all that we would get closing arguments tomorrow. Could it move that quickly tomorrow that we could get through closing arguments and start deliberations or no? I don't think so because they still have to do the chart, they
0: haven't done the charging conference. Yeah. On this case, that's going to take a lot of time. Explain what that is and why it takes time. And so essentially, you know, the charging conference is where both sides have to go over the jury instructions. And in this case, you're going to be voluminous obviously. And so there's going to be a lot of instructions, and for each instruction, The the prosecutor and defense have to go over it and and argue whether or not uh, the facts of this particular case comport to this area of the law as to justify this charge versus that charge. And so in that the jury's excused, I imagine that if I imagine if Georgia doesn't call a rebuttal, this case, and this is me guessing, but this case probably goes to two o'clock tomorrow, assuming he does an hour and a half. She takes two, three hours, hopefully stuck. You know, she stays under my prediction of two, but hopefully not more than four, um, which would put her around 330. I think at 330, Judge Everett most likely releases the jury mm-hmm. if there's no rebuttal, um, which is a whole nother subject. But he most likely releases the jury and starts the charge conference because he wants to get that done. And that and that might work out because that means that he can release the jury for the weekend and then Monday morning, bring them in closing statements and immediately go into deliberations.
1: There you go. So we could get a verdict early next week if I am reading that correctly, Jessica K. I'm waiting for the day Joel officially names me a friend of the show. Might even today is that day, Jessica. Go on the Google. Go on the Google right now. Find out who makes trophies. I will. I will pay for it. Survive and Survivor Gmail. Find a place that will build a tr- trophy, and I I will Venmo you money for that trophy. Let me tell you a very quick story. I once worked for Michael Moore. I think I told you this. I was a pretty good tennis player back in the day. I'm not going to brag, but I was All-State three times. I wasn't that good. I just willed myself to victory. However, when I worked for Michael Moore, what I was really good at was ping pong, table tennis. And I beat this guy Michael Giannis' behind. And he was dating the comedian Sarah Silverman at the time. And all she was doing was screaming at me and trying to break my concentration and I got a trophy for winning this tournament, and it was like five or six feet tall. And he gave it to me, and I brought it home. I was I, I brought it on a Subway. It's the biggest trophy I ever saw. And the guy was such a cheap you-know-what. I had to give it back to him. It was like an annual trophy. So there, <laughs> Michael Moore, don't ever do that. So whoever that was, I already forgot the name. I apologize. Order yourself a trophy and I'll Venmo you the money. Kai Ocean, Charlie can deny all he wants. The keyword is plausible. Tim Jansen, we have to get to this before we roll out. They talk about now, the now infamous TV. Jessica K, buy yourself a trophy. Surviving Survivor Gmail and we will Venmo you the money. And Screw Michael Moore. Buzz off, Michael Moore. Hashtag buzz off, Michael Moore. Um. A lot of talk about this TV set, Tim Jansen, and how Charlie Adelson was making a joke about how it was cheaper than hiring a hitman. And obviously, Daniel Rashbaum wanted to get that out of the way. That came up really early. And Charlie, Rash, uh, Charlie Adelson to Rashbaum says, I do remember making that joke about the hitman. He says, it was the stupidest joke I ever said. And Charlie uh, then says, I say a lot of stupid things. Daniel Ratchbaum says, did you ever look into hiring a hitman? No, never. How important was it for him to explain that away? And does Georgia go back to it?
2: She will. You know, people don't make that joke about hiring a hitman and then your your sister's husband gets killed by a hitman. And um, he talked about all these jokes he made, right? He wasn't joking today on the witness stand. It's just a totally different person you saw today. Completely separate than the recordings. The videos, the phone calls, the text messages, that is not who that person was. And, you know, we see people in our line of work, we get people on their best behavior, all right? In family law, lawyers get people on their worst behavior. But he's charged with what he did when he was not on the witness stand. He's charged with what he did out there when he was running the streets with money, with influence, using these girls, and and trying to protect his family. The whole thing he said, I'll go Nazi, right? You messed with my family, I'll F with, I'll f you. That's the real Charlie Adelson, not the one on Xanax, not the one that's up here fighting for his life. And the jury has to remember that. He was making these saying, you messed with me. And even the last tape, he's like, I'll take care of them. They think there are some big guys. Well, I know I can do something too. I got a gun and they want to come. That's the real thing. That's the real Charlie Adelson. And that's what she's going to have to focus on.
1: Lewis, uh, Gregory Worth is asking for me. Please have Lewis Baptiste back very soon. Will you come back soon? I, I'm coming
0: back soon. I have to see when I can. You know, it's, you know, I, 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 we're all not big time like Tim Jansen. You know, Tim Jansen, he's just the, you know, when, when you're the man in the city. You and will, the
1: you, and will, will you come back on to discuss other cases if you can read into them? Of course, I'd love to. Awesome! There you go, everyone. Kathleen Silverman, ten dollars super sticker. Thanks to all. I want to know who the gray-haired gentleman in front of Joel, who sleeps through the trial, is. That's Phil Markel, but he's Phil not Markell. sleeping. I'm keeping an eye on him. He's not sleeping. He's actually taking a lot of notes, which is interesting. Tim, why is he taking? I should just, I should have just asked him. I didn't. But
2: he what, might what- be writing a book. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it was sad today when they played that tape, and you could hear the, the kids in the background. And you could hear Donna talking, but you could hear her grandkids. And the comments on the screen were just heartbreaking, Joel. It was just heartbreaking. And I don't know why Rashbaum did that. I don't know, but it it was a painful thing for that family. I think Dan should have thought twice about that. He was probably fighting for his client, but it really had a negative effect on the people
1: on the show.
2: Um, It was
1: heartbreaking. really was. And can you explain this to me? This is where I got really lost because this extortion now takes so many different avenues. At first, Charlie says he didn't want to tell Katie because he didn't want her to know that he knew. Then he says that he didn't know if Katie was part of it. Then he says he didn't want to scare his parents. Then he says he knew, he thought he realized it was the police I just got so confused. Did you understand it in a more clear, concise way? I think what he's doing, he had to say that
2: because there are subsequent calls, conversations that were so friendly with Katie. He was offering to sell her the boat. He was going to give her that vacation. Never told her, why don't you go take a vacation, smoke some pot, drink some drink and then go fishing. He was being very friendly to a person that just extorted one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. But yet, on the other hand, he was hell. He wasn't going to give that $5,000. And why didn't he just call Katie and say, Katie, are these your people? Can you find out, are these your people that extorted me before? You know why it wasn't there? Because there was no extortion before. This was all contrived later on. And he's got to get around those conversations because he never used the word extortion because it never happened.
1: Eloquently said. Lewis, can you take us out on a uh, Dan Markell story, any kind of story, uh, just so we can remember him by it? And then we'll wrap up.
0: I, I think that um, there's a super controversial case and in, in you teach, you learn every uh, some every law student in America learns the same case. It's called the Due case DU. And it's a super controversial case about a um Young African American girl that was killed by an Asian woman who owned a convenience store, a liquor store in California. And the judge at the sentencing departed. And even though the woman was supposed to get 10 years, gave her probation. And so, of course, it's a, and this is, you know, 25 years ago. So it's a super controversial case. And of course, when the case came up in our classroom, our hands went up on both sides of the issue. A lot of students supported. Um, the probation, a lot of students didn't support the departure. A lot of students were arguing the race angles of it and the effect of giving a person probation when a young African-American woman was killed, when she was attempting to pay for juice. She, when she was paying, if you guys look at the cases, uh, the due case, um, the woman assumed that it was a robbery, but when the little girl was shot, she had the money in her hand or something to that effect it's a super controversial case but when mark when professor markel he was able to stop the whole class and kind of just took the you know it's one of those moments where you just take that when the air goes out of the room he just said stop he didn't yell he just said stop we're all here to learn it together we're all here to process it and go through it together all of us our 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 opinions are different but our love of the law and and our desire to learn the issues is what is the reason you're all in this classroom. And, and you know, you could tell that it was on a verge of tipping to, you know, where it wouldn't have remained professional. And he was able to just say, just was saying, stop, you know, mm-hmm. to bring us all. And I can tell you, I, 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 I might've been one of the people that was about to call the tip, if I'm being honest, but he was able <laughs> to say, stop and calm everybody down and bring us back to le- bring us back to level headedness for us to have an intellectual debate and discussion, which I think is telling of the kind of person he is because at this point, and look, we know our country, our world, everywhere. You know what I mean? We need people who can just say stop and bring reasonableness back and bring calmness back. It's what the world needs. And and he didn't do it for the world, but he did it for our classroom on that day about a controversial case.
1: Wow. Amazing. Uh, Dan Markell's legacy, of course, are his two sons, Ben and Lincoln, but obviously he left a uh, legacy, other people on that path. Louis Baptiste is one of them. I'm having this notion in my head that Louis Baptiste is going to go back to FSU, teach law, and one day the Markell children will be at that law school and will, will come full circle. That is my hope. Uh, quick final. Super sticker here. And then we got to run Darlene Dunlap to Tim Jansen. Do you all think the extortion bump, Tim, Tim was how they came up with this as their defense?
2: Well, they had to come up with a reason they had to come up with something. Um, I wasn't sure how they were going to come up, what they were going to come up with. They had the issue with the money. They had the recorded calls. They had the bump. They had multiple bumps. They had three bumps actually. And not any time did they call the police at all. Uh, After those three bumps, they never, ever talked about extortion with Katie. They never talked about extortion with his mother. He never talked about anybody about extortion until he got an opening statement. And that's what it is. It's a court created defense. Um,
1: Tim, thank you for all the insight. Amazing. Louis, thank you for sharing those personal stories. The COE, thank you for hanging with us for 11 hours. This has been a long week. I cannot thank Tim enough, Space Coast enough, the mods the coe best guest, and most important of course i always say a best guest better community we will be live streaming every day through this trial we'll see if tim has uh, the stamina to go tomorrow we'll see if there's no doctor's appointments we will have it done uh, steve Cole and i are gonna be heading yeah. back midday and uh, then, yeah love you 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 were muted there but love you america love you lewis man great guy oh, one of those guys yes, yeah, I can tell that Lewis is just a special person. Thank you, Tim. Take care of the court for me. i have to it. Until tomorrow.
5: I'll see you soon. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Slash ranks.